You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 886 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning, and thank you as always for joining us on the podcast. Yesterday, I had Sarah Spencer of the AJC on the podcast, and then before that, I had plenty of recent content from the preseason, including a deep dive from Tower Jones uh, in two parts on the team and the outlook, etc., as well as some overrunners with Robbie Calland, and uh, lots to get to on the podcast. But please, please, please subscribe to the show if you have not done that already. I really appreciate everyone that already has. Plenty to get to on the podcast today, and later on, you will hear from Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, and uh, for my money, the best fantasy basketball analyst in the business, as well as someone who knows much, much more beyond fantasy basketball. Josh is a trusted NBA analyst overall draft stuff. He and I worked together closely before the draft. He was uh, on, on this podcast before. I've been on his podcast and uh, a good conversation coming with Josh. Before we get to that, though, a couple of news items to handle. Um, the Lockdown NBA hosts did a power poll this week about the most improved teams in the league during the offseason, and the Hawks actually finished number one in the league by decent margin over the Suns at number two overall. I have just one vote in the polls. This is not me putting my thumb on the scales necessarily. Uh, so some nice uh, applause nationally from the Locked On NBA uh, hosts across the network. Also, the Hawks released their official injury report for Thursday's game in Memphis. Atlanta is already there. They flew out today and they play the Grizzlies on Thursday evening in their first road tilt of the preseason. And uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, busyness on the injury report this time around. Of course, no Chris Dunn, Onyeka Kongwu, or Tony Snell in this game. Those were already previously expected absences. Rajon Rondo is still listed as doubtful with right right knee soreness. As I played the audio for you all last week from Lloyd Pierce, he downplayed any uh, questions, uh, basically pivoting Rondo back to the fact that he played in the bubble into October. He's an older guy, a vet, a champion, all that stuff. So I'm assuming there's not a whole lot of concern there, but it looks like he might not play again on Thursday. And then a trio of guys in the injury report above that, Click Capella is probable with the Achilles that they're listing him as, as soreness there. And then both Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish are questionable with ankle soreness. Reddish missed the game, um, the last home game that the Hawks had against Orlando with the ankle, and Herter has been on the injury report as well, but he, both those guys are questionable. We'll see if they play, but uh, that's the latest on that. Also, Memphis is going to be without a bunch of guys in this matchup. Jaron Jackson is still out, Justice Winslow is still out, as well as Xavier Tillman and Killian Tilly, two of my favorite incoming rookies. And uh, Brandon Clark is questionable to play. Jonte Porter is doubtful to play. Um, so not exactly a, uh, a full-strength crew on either side for the game on Thursday. I don't want to make too much out of it, but Memphis is pretty interesting in terms of a uh, more dynamic team for the Hawks to play against, especially when compared to Orlando. They could test the Hawks in some ways. Lloyd Pierce talked about um, the last couple of days about how Memphis is number one in the league in points per, ga- sorry, points per game in the paint last season. That should push the Hawks in their, uh, quote, no paint mentality, end quote, that Pierce has been referencing for quite some time now. And uh, they're, just, they're, they're just more dynamic. John Morant's tough to stop. They have some more talent than Orlando does, in my opinion. So a little bit more of a challenge there for the Hawks in some ways. Also, of course, Trey Morant, uh, sorry, Trey, Trey Young and John Morant going against each other is pretty fun to, uh, I would say, monitor. And then the uh, a bit of a later tip-off, an 8 p.m. Eastern time tip 
So get your coffee ready on Thursday evening. Uh, I will definitely have a, re- a recap podcast coming uh, late in Thursday, late, late on Thursday into Friday. So please stay tuned for all of that. But uh, that's next on the agenda. That'll that'll do it for all the news. Nothing else really happening in Hawks land other than just the season's coming in full force. The Hawks will be opening their season a week from today as I record this on the 23rd. So that's all coming fast and furious and uh, keep it locked here for all of the latest on the Hawks. Okay, before I get to Josh, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now. And use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. And before I turn it over to Josh, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network and betting on the NBA. It does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. The podcast has daily picks, quick and advice to make the smartest possible wagers. You can, you can subscribe to Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. I am joined now by Josh Loy, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, among other things. And Josh, thank you for joining me on the podcast, man. Hi, Brad. How are you? You know, we're living the dream here. Uh, we're in full <laughs> we're in full swing. The preseason is happening. I'm currently watching a game. Uh, I'm sure you are as well. And uh, we're all we're all quite busy. I know you are right now. Yeah, flat out flat out time. We've compressed you know three months of off season into about three weeks, so it's uh, a lot going on. For sure, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, as I teed it up, you're obviously a, uh, a leading fantasy basketball expert. The last time we talked, though, in podcast form extensively was about the draft, honestly. Uh, so I'm sort of obliged to ask you about, about what you thought of the Akongwu pick for the Hawks, because we talked around it. You and I did a lot of preview content for the draft, but I'm wondering what you thought about that pick, and then we'll transition to uh, more present-day things. I like I like Akongwu a lot. Like I had him at number three on my draft board. So I think yeah, in terms of just value of getting him at number three at or the third, the third best player at number six makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure how it makes a lot of sense the way this roster currently is constructed with Capella and then, yeah, Collins' best position probably being at the 5-2, and you might not see much of a Kongwu at all for the first year or two. But in terms of just getting a very good player, uh, I like what the Hawks did. Yeah, I mean, basically I thought it was a good value pick as well, and it's obviously a future-facing pick rather than a present-day-facing pick, but I think everybody knows this, but... The Hawks are trying to win now. That's part of their uh, mandate or whatever you want to say. And no rookie, even guy, even a guy that we like a lot in Okongwu, was going to probably help them win this year. So it makes a little bit more sense through that lens because they were obviously picking for you know two years from now probably, which is kind of the way I'm thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. So you you understand that your rookie's contribution for most cases, especially in a draft like this without that top-end talent, um, where you know, we're talking two, three years away. So they want to win now. They just draft the best player, and who knows what's going to happen in, in two, three years' time. 
For sure. Um, and we'll save some of the positional battle stuff for a little bit from now. So I'll, I'll open up by asking you about Trey Young. He's he's the guy um, of the entire roster that is uh, most fixed in terms of his role. Um, obviously a prominent guy, and you are fantasy focused as well as the league. He's, he's quite good in fantasy basketball as well, but what are you expecting from him this time around? Because obviously there's more talent around him. Maybe he'll score less. I'm not really sure how you're viewing that. So what's your overall take on what Trey's going to be doing this year? Yeah, look, I, he was obviously awesome last year, and I predicted him to be awesome last year, and it worked out pretty well. The The worry you have there, I guess, is does he lose uh, does he lose some shots? But in general, the way NBA teams will work is that if there is a guy like Trey Young, is that they're not the guys that sacrifice the shots usually, unless there's two of those sort of players on a team. It's everyone else who tends to sacrifice. So it's a guy who's been decently high usage in Bogdan Bogdanovich or Danilo Gallinari. They're likely to step back a little bit rather than Trey Young, but he might lose a shot or two a game, but maybe that increases his assists opportunities. But overall, I think he's still going to be you know, really, really solid this year from a fantasy perspective. And I don't think that these additions mean, oh man, Trey's going to take this big back seat or anything like that. He's still going to be the absolute focus of this of this team. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I've gone on record saying that I think he's going to average fewer points than last year. Last year, last year was 29.6. That's a lot of points. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he replicated that. If I had to lean, I would take the under on 29.6. But I also think that his assists might go up. And I think he might leave the league in assists, quite frankly. But he, he averaged 9.3 last year with very little help around him. And I think if he takes a couple less shots per game you still might see that um you know his usage will be very very high but do you think in terms of assists like is he on that top echelon for you as well as uh, as well as he is for me yeah i think he's like you know top two in assists pretty comfortably um maybe that maybe that does go up and he yet you know, uh, lebron led the league last year so maybe he can uh he can jump back up and overtake LeBron this season, but I don't really see him suffering too much of a, of a setback in terms of his assist numbers. But if they're anything, they're going to grow. And yeah, I think he is, I'd say he's probably the odds on favorite to be the league leader in assists. Yeah, that's where I'm thinking as well. And I, I think I know the answer to this, as I've taught you about this before, but for people that play fantasy leagues that you know count turnovers, Trey's a high turnover guy. Do you worry all, at all about that? Because I, I think I know the answer. I don't, in terms of real life purposes, but is that a fantasy concern of his? It doesn't worry me in the slightest. Like, do not care at all. Um, all these guys at the top of drafts that have the ball in their hands, that generate assists, are going to generate turnovers. It's just what happens. So he's got high turnovers. Oh, well, I, I just I just do not care that he gets those high turnovers. It doesn't ding him at all for me in terms of fantasy production. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. But I wanted to check in. Uh, we are on the same page. And uh, I am not a fantasy expert. I have uh, I play in one league, and I defer to you and listen to all of what you tell me to do, basically. Um, but I wanted to at least ask that question out loud for those purposes. Um, okay, we'll transition now into the morass of all the bodies the Hawks have. And you know, in real-life purposes, having a bunch of depth is a good thing, in my view. But for your purposes and trying to figure out maybe even Lloyd Pierce's as well, it makes life difficult to have all of these options. So before we dive into like individual players, is it a kind of a mess when you project this roster? I know you have to do these projections to figure out what you think is going to happen. Is it like really a challenge the way it is for me to project minutes for these, for these, for these guys for you, or is it a little bit more, more clear clip than I'm, than I'm seeing? No, no, it's it's really tough. Like it's hard to judge. Like most teams will run a ten-man rotation. Like some, Steve Clifford, Mike D'Antoni will run nine-man rotations usually. Some in the past, Kenny Atkinson for the Nets used to do eleven-man rotations at times, but most of the time it's ten, right? And there's eleven rotation players on this team. So is Lloyd Pierce going to run an eleven-man rotation? Um, 
uh, his top 10 picks from last year going to go backwards in their minutes? Probably. Is their starting shooting guard going to play under 20 minutes a night from last year? Maybe. Like, there's a lot of question marks with how this all works. Do they just run that extended rotation? But like on a night, like you can say, that's fine. People are going to get injured and people are going to rest. But on a night when everyone's healthy, who's going to miss out? Who's going to be the player that doesn't play? Because I don't think they're going to run 11 every single night. Um, so someone's going to miss out. So trying to work it out behind Trey Young, Really, after Trey Young, like there's nothing that's guaranteed for me. John Collins is going to get minutes, but will it be 35 or will it be 30? Clint Capella, is he going to play 34 like he did with Houston, or is he going to play 27? There's just so many questions right across this roster. Yeah, I think that's – I generally agree. Um, and the 11 guys, I think, are pretty clear cut. I guess the question for me comes like well, – there are many questions. The one that I'll ask you about first is – this is probably less fantasy relevant in a lot of ways, but the Chris Dunn, Rajon Rondo minutes, those guys don't strike me as huge fantasy options, but um, if they are playing, how much they are playing kind of bleeds into what you project for guys like Kevin Hurd and the other wings. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, Chris Dunn played a lot last year, and he was like one of the top three guys in steals. So his fantasy value was actually pretty high. But I think I think he's probably going to be the odd man out. I, I don't know that. For, well, it's, he is initially because he's not going to be ready to start the season with the knee injury. So I think he's probably going to be the guy that is the 11th man in this rotation most nights. Um, we'll see, I guess, who comes back earlier, Kongwu or, or Dunn, as to who is that guy. Um, but you're right. Like if they do squeeze him in, then it is going to impact these guys like Reddish and Hunter who make their chops being wing defenders when Dunn is a guy that does that already. And he's probably better than both those guys at this point. No one's going to love this in the fantasy community, but I do think that, that Boyd Pierce is going to treat a couple of these decisions on a matchup basis. And I think Dunn is one of those decisions. Uh, Rondo as well, in terms of, you know, back to backs being an older guy. But I think that you can't expect Dunn to play as much as he did in Chicago as a baseline, which I think is part no. of what you're oh, saying. No, no way. And, and I, no I, way. I know you know that, but that, that's really the only thing. I think he might be matchup dependent more than some of these other guys, but that bleeds into Kevin Herter as well, because if Chris Dunn's playing a lot, that probably means Kevin Herter isn't playing as much, at least in my mind. Is that sort of a one-on-one battle that you're looking at potentially? Um, it's also Bogdanovich in there as well. Yeah. I, I can't see a path for Herter to play big minutes. And we started the last preseason game, but... I, I, how does he get anywhere near what he did last year with you're right Dunn taking some of that playing time and then and Bogdanovich taking that playing time as well like I, I just I can't see how he is going to have anywhere close to the same level of impact or just playing time that he did last year it just seems at this point pretty much impossible to get to that yeah he averaged 31 minutes a game last year you have to say that's not going to happen barring an injury to Bogdanovich and I think Bogdanovich I'll ask you about in a second but Herter you know there's a lot of d- debate about Reddish versus Hunter at the three, and Herter's kind of in this no-man's land where, yes, he can do a lot of diff- different things, his shooting is valuable, but Bogdanovich really impacts him even more, and then you throw him down on top of that. So I'm not sure he'll be buried. I think the Hawks want to keep developing him. At the same time, there's no way he's getting into the upper 20s even, much less 31 minutes a game, I would imagine. No, there's no, I, you just can't, like, you got to fit it in. And people say, nah, that he's really good, that's great, but you got to get 240 minutes a night. Like that's that's what you've got to get. And if he gets 31, that means that, what, Reddish plays 10 minutes, Bogdanovich plays 18 minutes? Like, it's literally impossible to find those minutes there unless, yeah, and you know, who, who do you think is the, the Hawks' priority there? Is it Bogdanovich, who they just, you know, acquired in the flashy new signing? Is it Reddish, who they are really high on internally? Is it the guy they mortgaged a lot of uh, assets to get in DeAndre Hunter? There's just too many guys there. And and 
with Bogdanovich feeling like a, almost a like-for-like replacement for her, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And speaking of, of Bogdanovich, you know, last year he played 29 minutes a game in Sacramento. I have, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how much he's going to play in Atlanta. I think it'll be probably around that same level, I would imagine. What kind of fantasy player is he? Obviously, he's a shooter, does a lot of things well, but I'm actually not entirely familiar with like how his profile works in fantasy. Um, well, it depends on the role that he gets used in because he is a good ball handler, so he can pass and he can be that secondary point guard. But with Rondo and with... Uh, done and even reddish handling the ball he might not get those same opportunities of course trey Young's going to be running things as well in that first unit so that impacts him he's also not the greatest free throw shooter and his overall field goal percentage has been yeah, pretty low so he's going to be a decent enough scorer he gets some assists who's going to hit some threes but has some uh, deficiencies in in certain areas and last year like he was a barely a top 100 guy and that he might struggle there just again with that hit of usage coming across uh, with Young uh, getting the majority of those shots because there wasn't obviously a Trey Young on the Sacramento Kings last year. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I think he's a he strikes me as someone who might be better in real life than in fantasy, which makes those guys do exist quite obviously. Um, yep. Before we get into the small forwards, Collins, Capella, etc., I want to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. All right, Josh. Uh, let me ask you about the small forwards. That's one of the great debates. I have no real insight on who's going to start, how much they're going to play. But it's Hunter and it's Reddish, and those guys are going to play. I just don't know how much, and that makes life difficult for you, I know. Yeah, it does. Uh, I I think, and this is if I'm talking to you and talking to other Hawks people, that the Hawks are probably a little bit more in on Reddish. But Hunter started the, the first two preseason games. Um, I don't think Reddish played in one of those, but Hunter started them. He's played pretty well. So maybe they go with Hunter in the starting lineup and have Reddish run in that second unit, and they both play you know, 25 minutes a night. That seems like it's the way it's going at this point, because I, I could make the argument, and you'd probably agree with me, Brad, that you know having Hunter at the four is probably going to be his best position. Unfortunately, you've got two other players who are his best position or, or who, whose position this season is going to be at the four, and that's going to really stifle what he does. So he played, what, 32 minutes a night last year. I don't see how he can get to that level, even though I think he will be the starting small forward to begin the season, because if he's playing 32 minutes a night again, then are they playing Reddish 16 tonight? Because Reddish had absolutely overtaken him, in my opinion, by the end of last season. Yeah, Pierce has been, um, I would say, coy on purpose about the starting lineup. I do think that I am guessing, if I had to choose one, that it will be Hunter to start the season based on the preseason, based on what they're saying. They like Hunter a lot still as well. They do love Reddish, as you mentioned there. Reddish, though, you might see him a little bit more as as sort of a a hybrid 2-3, whereas Hunter's at 3-4, and... Like you said, the four minutes are not as prevalent with Gallinari on board. So I think both of, sort of what you mentioned there in terms of having both those guys play in the mid-20s is probably what I would project to happen. But you could see one of, the, one of them pull ahead of the other. I think starting in this case is probably going to be a little bit overrated. Whoever starts on opening night will probably be uh, that suddenly overvalued in terms of how much they're going to play. I think those guys will probably play a pretty similar amount, I would guess. Yeah, that's that's how I've got it at this point. Uh, probably wouldn't be how I would do it if I was coaching, but that it doesn't matter what I'm going to do. It matters <laughs> what you know the coach is going to do. So that is you know trying to and you say like well, okay, well Reddish can play the, the the two three and that's great, but then Herder and Bogdanovich are also two three. So yep. that's what's happening all over the place. Oh Hunter, we'll push him up to the four, but that's great because we've got fours there already. And then that's fine. We'll play Collins at the five, but you know, you've got two other centers there. So everyone's always pushed into these. There's a lot of dual position players, but everyone's a dual position player. So there's not just an easy thing. I'll just shift Hunter to the four because there's no minutes there. And that's what's that's what's making it all really difficult to work out. Yeah, extremely. And uh, now I'll ask you about Gallinari, who is a really good 
player in a lot of ways. Really high-powered, good shooter, uh, always been a productive scorer, but his role is uncertain. I think he's going to play quite a bit as well because they don't invest him. They don't invest that, that contract in him to not play him at all, but he's not going to start, it looks like, and he may not play the 30 minutes that he's been getting the last few years. Yeah, I don't see how he plays those 30 minutes, and maybe he's okay with that. He's had injury problems. He's 32, so he's older than you expect as well. He's yeah, a great scorer, shooter, gets the line really at a high level as well. Doesn't do huge amounts else apart from that, but that's useful in that second unit. And we've seen Schlenk come out and say, no, he's going to be a second unit player. He's going to be backing up John Collins. But yeah, backing up John Collins, does that mean 16 minutes? Because that seems outrageous to be to be the case. Um, so you know, what's he going to do? He's probably going to be in a 25-minute role. It'll be 26, 27. He only played 30 last, last year for the Thunder. So it wasn't in a huge-minute role there. And I think it's part of that is trying to preserve his body, which has been... Uh, a problem for him throughout his career. So I think uh, while you're paying him a lot of money to be there, I think the best result for him probably is a 26-minute quick hitter off the bench, come in, do your, do your damage, score while Trey's off the court, be that central focus of the offense, don't put too much stress on your body, and play that, play that sort of role. I think that's probably what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean... And I guess I'll ask you, how, how good of a fantasy option is he if he's only going to play 26 minutes a night? Yeah, not really that great. Um, he's like, you know, position on Yahoo is extraordinarily high at number 76. Now, that's basically where he was last year. Uh, so he's not going to be able to do that. Um, his game in terms of fantasy, it's like hitting threes and scoring points. And so much of that is just tied into minutes. So if he's playing four or five fewer minutes than last year, it's going to be really tough to to get back to that number. He's not a guy that's just going to generate, you know, huge assist numbers or steals or rebounds or do anything like that. It's all about volume scoring and the volume may not be there. Yeah, and like I said, I think he's going to play high 20s. And also, though, you could see some load management with Gallinari. They have this investment oh, yeah. in him. Uh, he might sit some back-to-backs. They haven't said that specifically, but it will surprise everyone if he's playing more than 60 games, I'd imagine. So that's also a factor, I'd imagine, as well. Yep, has to be, because he is going to sit those games out. There's no no doubt about that. Um, I guess the other guy that we have to have got to, I'm, I'm saving Collins for the end on purpose. Um, Click Appella is now on this team. He is uh, in a relatively firm role. He, along with Collins and Young, are probably the most firm in terms of role deployment, but his minutes could fluctuate. His rebounding is uh, obviously a big talking point here because of how good he's been previously. And then there's his defense, but, you know, free throw shooting is a question I know for fantasy. What's he, What kind of player is he uh, projecting to be on the fantasy level? So he's been in the past, you know, top 30, top 40 sort of guy, but that is, a set, as I said, in like, you know, 33, 34 minutes a night. I think... Given the heel problems that he had last year and given the structure of this roster, I don't think he's getting to that level, but he's a high field goal percentage guy, a high blocks guy, a really strong rebounder. We've seen that in the preseason already. He's going to put up numbers. It's going to put him in that 60 to 80 sort of range, probably at risk as a lot of these guys are because people aren't really factoring in like how do we fit everyone in terms of minutes. So they're getting overdrafted, a lot of these players, Gallinari, Capella, Collins, a lot of these guys getting overdrafted. Um, But he's still going to be useful just getting to those Rockets type minutes in a D'Antoni rotation is just not going to happen under Lloyd Pierce. Yeah, I think my projection for him is more like what he did three years ago, which I'm looking at now was about 28 minutes a game, you know, yep. hyper, hyper efficient and still productive. You know, he averaged 14 and 11 that year, but more like that than than him going out and putting up, you know, 16 and 14 or whatever it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's that's what yeah, it was two, three years ago that he did that. I think that's a more realistic expectation. Um, On Collins... You know, he was an awesome fantasy player last year, given his efficiency and his production. It's probably going to take a step back at least a little bit. I still am of the mind that he's going to play 
a lot. I think he'll play some five as well, which help, which helps to provide some of that value back. But even, but that even with all that said, twenty one and ten or whatever it was last year on you know elite efficiency is a lot to ask for. Is he being overdrafted based on what you think? Um, yeah, uh, almost definitely. I think he's Yahoo ranks at thirteen or fourteen, which is Ooh, that's even harder than I thought. Me. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's it's insane because he was he was around that area last year on a per game basis, but he was just getting. Everything he wanted. It was him, and it was Trey, and it was nobody else. And that is not what the case is going to be this year. So it's not only that you know we're going to have him probably having fewer minutes to play as a um, as a true center with Capella X. He got a lot of his minutes and a lot of his damage was done at center last year. It's just, so he's going to lose minutes there. But it's also just playing next to Capella. That means your rebound numbers are probably going to drop off. Your block numbers are probably going to drop off. It's not the primary rim protector. Your field goal percentage might drop off because you're playing further away from the rim. Um, and pair all that with maybe a reduction in minutes, maybe a reduction in shot attempts. He's got no way of being able to uh, live up to that number that he put up last year where he averaged 22 and 10. I, I, the minutes will be, he'll play some minutes, but he's going to suffer some hits in numerous areas would be my guess. Yeah, you know, he played 33 minutes last year. I would take the under on that, but maybe not maybe not by a ton. I think he can play 30 plus. It's just that, you know, if you couple if you couple in the efficiency last year, 40% from 3, 80% from the line, I got to probably take the under on both of those numbers too. So it like there's a lot of factors that come into fantasy play with Collins. I think I'm still higher on him as a real life entity, but you know, just it, it really has to be said like last year's numbers were really kind of ridiculously good. Yeah, and they are. And look, you can be high on him as a as a player, and I think he's pretty good. And I, I don't understand it, but it doesn't matter if you're high on him. It doesn't matter if I'm high on him as a player. If the Hawks and Lloyd Pierce are like, we're not sure we want to commit to this guy. We're not sure where he fits in, and our moves in the offseason would tell us that maybe we don't actually think that he is a part of the future, then that's what you've got to take into consideration because, okay, we traded for Clint Capella. We brought in Danilo Gallinari. We drafted a center. Um it's not a great sign for where things sit with Collins in the near and the long term in terms of his role in this team. This is my one insider tidbit that I'll give you on this podcast. I, I would project Collins' assist total to go up substantially this year. I think he's a good passer. I remember seeing him summer league and he never really showed that in college and went, oh, all right, he can he can pass a little bit here. We haven't seen it at all in the NBA, but that that's an interesting thing to look at because um, yeah, he's he's and he flashed a little bit in preseason as well. But I remember seeing that in summer league going, okay, I didn't realize he had that wrinkle to his game. Yeah, it kind of you know it's been covered up sometimes, but that that was an emphasis for him on the offseason. That stuff can, can be overstated too. But I think uh, some of that will uptick. I'm not, he's not going to come out and average six assists a game, but I think it's going to be uh, notably higher than it's been in the past. That's just my I, my, my one nugget today. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's interesting. It's easy to see because I've seen him do it in limited sample before. I know he's got that there, and if that is something he's developed, then there is uh, there is something to see from that, which is which is interesting in terms of his fantasy value. If he's going to lose in other spots, then uh, gaining an assist is a way to do it. Yeah, a little bit more balance. Um, all right, before I let you get out of here, I'll ask you some broad questions. Who is the best value fantasy-wise for you on this Hawks team? Who the best value? The problem is, is there's not much value with many there, of these are they, guys. Are they all overvalued right now? That, that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise um, me actually. Collins is, um, Gallinari is, Capella is, Bogdanovich is probably a little bit over. It's probably Trey Young to be honest. Like he's going at pick ten. I think he's the ninth best player. So there you go. If you can, if you can get a guy that's going yeah, that I think is better than that. Uh, ADP, then that's he's probably the guy. Everyone else, yeah, Collins too high, Capella too high, like, and too high by 20, 30, 40 spots, some of these guys. Um, yeah, Reddish at 120 is probably too high by 50 spots. 
Um, I think it's probably Trey is the best value pick, and that's you know, hard to say when you're, you're talking about the guy that's getting picked in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you who the worst value is, and also, I'm uh, selfishly the one league that I'm in is a as uh, a dynasty league, so I'm wondering like. Do you see long-term value in some of the guys who are not Trey, not not Trey, not John? Like, what's a Kong Wu's long-term projection? Guys like Reddish, guys like Hunter, are those guys interesting dynasty plays for you, or are they just more, you know, not terribly exciting for you? Um, look, Hunter doesn't have great fantasy translations because the low defensive stats doesn't get assists, low volume scorer, not elite percentages. Like, he doesn't look great. Reddish does, good steal rate passing ability being flashed hits threes at a really high volume there's there's something there with him and a kongwu does too with his um field goal percentage his um his block rate his good rebounding numbers i think a kongwu looks really strong as a fantasy prospect as does reddish i'd probably put a kongwu ahead of reddish and hunter in terms of their long-term uh, upside all right that's all the fantasy i have you can add whatever you would like to at the end i do want to ask you what you think of the hawks uh in in real life is this a playoff team for you like are you going to upset hawks fans by hating them like where do you how do you feel about the hawks right now no, i think they are a playoff team but at best the seventh seed like the east has got some pretty good teams like they're going to jump ahead of the magic where they were last year but yeah we've got maybe they could get ahead of the paces but they probably won't I think seventh seed is probably probably the best case scenario for them. Um, people were super high on the Hawks last year, if you remember, Brad, which was obviously ridiculous at the time and looked even <laughs> stupid, looked stupider as the season went on. It is a little bit different, but there might be a little bit of overstating. I've seen some people say, well, maybe they can get to the five or the four. Like, there's no way. I, I can't see that happening. But getting to the seven, I think, is probably where they sit because there are you know, six really strong teams ahead of them. Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, Sixers, Heat, Nets. Nets. Yeah. Uh, and then you got the Pacers in that mix as well. Uh, so there are some really strong teams still ahead of them in the East. Yeah, I'm picking them to finish seventh ahead of the Pacers. I'm, lo- I'm a little bit lower on the Pacers, but yeah, 7-8 range is about where I think they are. And I will say, last year's hype was out of control. That roster was not built very well, as you well know. This time around, I think they're actually a little bit underrated talent-wise. This is a team that I think has like five you know, top 80-ish players in the league, not fantasy-wise, but just, like, overall talent yeah. when you factor in the yeah, four, four guys plus Capella. I mean, it's four guys plus Gallinari. And then whatever you get from the small forward spot, if, if they're okay at small forward, I think they're going to be pretty uh, pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, Gallinari, Capella, Collins, Young, Bogdanovich, these are all really good players. Um, and I'm sure there's someone else I'm missing there as well. It is a really strong team. Now, how they fit together, getting this many guys in together in completely different roles that they've played at times can be tough to do especially early on, especially with a truncated off-season camp preseason, That might be tough and it might be rusty to begin with. But, um, yeah, they're significantly more talented than last year. Well, thanks, Josh, for all the time. Please plug what you got going on. You're very, very busy this time of year. People should be checking your stuff out. So where, where can they find it? Yeah, just go and uh, check out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball to see the other stuff that I'm uh, doing over there. Well, thank you, sir, for joining me. As always, please check out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Subscribe to that. I am a frequent listener to the pod. Subscribe to this show as well, and we'll see you all next time.